All right, Matthew chapter 10, if you will, and then we'll get started here. Uh, we we kind of introduced this a little bit last week, um, but I want to go back into it and uh, just pick up. We're uh, coming out of Matthew 9, if you look there at verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. So we, we came back down through, through chapter 9, where the Lord has been doing the miracles and everything, and now it's time for the harvest, but yet in order to do that, the leaders of Israel weren't on the, on the program. They weren't on board with what was going on. They've actually literally rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. So now the, what the Lord says is we need leaders, we need new leaders uh, to be the Lord's and to go and do the harvest. So he now is going to call out the the uh, the leaders, and he's going to move them out. I believe we looked last time at Luke and in Mark, over there where he, uh, Luke six, he says uh, that he called uh, unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve. So it just wasn't the twelve standing there; it was a whole group, and out of the twelve, he he then ordains them. Mark three. And then that they should then, and then he was going to send them out to preach, and that's literally what the word apostle means: sent ones, ones that were that are sent out. So he now, what's going to happen here in Matthew 10? Then is you're going to see the commission of the twelve apostles, and when we're going to see it, it'll start here in verse one. So it'll start here in the earthly ministry. And it's literally going to go all the way out to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when people talk about the so-called Great Commission, and they usually run to Matthew 28 or Mark 16 or Luke 24, and they run to those components, really this is the Great Commission. Matthew 10 is the commissioning of the 12 apostles. Here's where he's going to give them the, the, the directive and the edict to, to move forward. So he calls them here. He, and, and again, this is very important passages here, and really because of, of, of what he's talking about. He's been doing, 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 doing. Now the king is going to establish his court, if you will. If you think about the, the kings and the lords and the, the nobles and all that, He's, that's what he's literally doing here is he's setting in his government. He's setting in his, his um, leadership, and he's going to give them power. So here's the king in his person with his princes, his apostles. Uh, come back with me to Numbers chapter number 1. And what he's, he chose the 12, and he's going to send them out to, to proclaim the kingdom and to rule and to reign and to do. We'll see a little bit where he looks at Peter and says, you guys will be 
the 12 tri you'll be uh, sitting on the 12 thrones, ruling the 12 tribes, and so forth. So this is the structure of his earthly government that we see uh, being um, established here. Now, the issue in, in chapter 10 there, that he chose 12. And again, the, the issue of why he chose 12, obviously for the 12 tribes of Israel, but more importantly for passages like Numbers 1, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take ye the sum of all, all the congregation of the children of Israel after their families, by the house of their fathers, with the number of their names, every male by their poles. So he's gonna get the he's he's numbering, he's getting he's getting a census of, of everybody. Verse 5. And these are the names of the men that shall stand with you. He's going to list now one man out of each of the tribes. Verse 16. These were, the, these were the renowned of the congregation, princes of the tribes of their fathers, heads of thousands in Israel. Now, you, we didn't read all, I'm not going to read all those names because you got Reuben, you got Judah, you got Ishakar, Zebulon, you got all the guys there. God ordained 12 princes in Israel. He chose a leader out of each one of the 12 tribes so that each tribe had a prince to rule over them, to be their representative when they came into the land and so forth. Come over to 1 Chronicles 27. 1 Chronicles chapter 27. 1 Chronicles 27, and we'll start in verse 16. 1 Chronicles 27 and verse 16. So you're going to have some princes here. Verse 16. 1 Chronicles 27, 16. Furthermore, over the tribes of Israel, the ruler of the Reubenites was Eliezer, the son of that guy. Okay. Then of verse 17 of the Levites. Notice verse 18 of Judah. Verse 19, all the way down to verse 22, where you have of Dan. These were the princes of the tribes of Israel. Notice, again, he's got 12 princes. He's laid them out. He's identified them. Now come over to Isaiah chapter 1. Now, what happened in Israel, and we, we know what happened. We, know, we understand their history, and that is that they, they have fallen. They fell down. They've fallen apart. They've just looked at it and... And they, they succumb to the satanic policy of evil. First, Isaiah 1, verse 25. And I will turn my head upon thee, and purely purge away thy dross, and take away all thy ten. And I will restore thy judges as at the first. There's Numbers 1. And thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful 
city. In the kingdom, the Lord's going to restore judges and counselors. He's going to appoint a prince for each of the twelve of the tribes, as it was when he first began to dealt with them, back in Numbers 1. Well, who's going to be those twelve princes? The tribes aren't going to pick them. He's picking them in Matthew 10. Those apostles are going to sit over the tribe of their family, and they're going to, or actually it's not their family, because Matthew, the, James, and John are brothers. It's, they're going to sit over the one that the king put them over, and then they're going to rule them. But what does Israel get back? They're going to get back all their, their hierarchy. They get back all their heads. Come over to Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32, verse number 1. Isaiah 32, 1. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. So again, they're going to be right where they're supposed to be. So you're having a hierarchy established here where you have the king. All right. And by the way, in the, in the kingdom, David gets resurrected to sit back as the king. Then you're going to have the 12 apostles, and then they're going to sit over the 12 tribes who are then going to go out and deal with the Gentiles. And that's the hierarchy. Now come over to Matthew 19, see this work out. Matthew 19 is the passage where Peter asks a question, and it gets Peter in trouble because people think when he asks this question, he's being selfish, but it's actually a question that is legitimate in light of, and it's appropriate, in light of the Lord saying, I've come to divide husband and wife, man and uh, dad and siblings, siblings, mother from siblings, all that. I've come to divide all of that up. So look at what Peter says, Matthew 19, 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So the twelve apostles are going to represent the twelve tribes. Those twelve princes, the twelve apostles, are going to sit over you know, 12 tribes over the 12 thrones on the 12, you know, and off we go. So in Matthew, you have the king ordaining his 12 princes to literally go out. Come back over to Matthew 9, where we were just a minute ago, a little uh, last week. To go out with him and proclaim Matthew 9, verse 35. Matthew 9, 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He's going to give them the ability to go out and demonstrate all, all, of, this, all of the issues of the kingdom, because he's going to give them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and diseases 
and so forth. So when you go back to Matthew 10, in, in Matthew 10 here, where we're, you know, dealing with, he's giving them power to, to go in, in his stead, in his place. Now, notice Matthew 10 and verse, the, the, the healing issue here. Um, he gave them power to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease, and he gave them power to, to, uh, against the unclean spirits to cast them out. And, and again, th those are the two main miracle things that the kingdom is going to do and the Messiah is going to do for the nation of Israel. When we studied Luke, we got over in Luke about Luke 8, we spent three or four weeks, if not more, talking about the devils and the demons, and, and the Lord would go in and move them and cast them out, and what was going on in the typology and the picture of that as he comes in and cleans up Israel and gets her right, ready to then go out and to do. So when he, when he gave them this power, Come back to Exodus 15. There, there's a thing here in Exodus 15. Because the first healing in the Bible, or in the record, if you will, in the scriptures, the way it's laid out, is associated with Israel being liberated from Egypt, it so happens to be. Exodus 15, verse 26 Exodus 15, 26. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Okay? So notice what they have to do. He's the Lord that heals them, right? That's, that's his moniker. That's who he is. But first, what do they have to do? They have to hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. Then they got to do what's right in his sight. Then they got to give ear to his commandments. And then they got to keep all of his statutes. You see, the healing is conditional. It's conditioned on the list in the verse. If, if, see, if they gave wholehearted, full-time attention and obedience to the Word of God, they got healed. They didn't get the botch of Egypt. I love that, the botch of Egypt. They didn't get that. So the first healing, by the way, the first healing was done by Moses when he put his hand in his bosom and pulled it out and it was leprous, and then he put it back in and it was clean, that was a sign to, to the nation. The next sign that was given to Moses was he threw his rod down, it became a snake, and he, when he picked it up it became a rod again, Exodus 4, okay? The first healing in the scripture is associated with Israel deliver Moses coming and being identified and identify himself and bringing Israel out of bondage. 
So in Matthew, when the nation is in bondage, you know, again, to, but to Rome, the prophet like unto Moses, the Lord, he shows up, and what does he show up with? Signs and wonders to prove who he is. Now he's turned, go back to Matthew 10, now he's turned and he's given his, his representatives now, his, his guys, the same power, the same ability. These guys were chosen by the king, and they were empowered by the king. They're sanctioned by the king. I, don't, I wrote down a list of how to say this. They were instructed by the king. They're sent out by the king. They represent the king. They're going to rule with him. They represent him. And they're going to end up representing the nation of Israel out here in the kingdom as it comes. Now, go back to Matthew 10, verse 2. Now, the name of the 12 apostles are these. Now, what I want you to notice is how they are, they are paired together. Okay? Notice, verse 2. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Notice, Peter and Andrew are together by the punctuation. Then you have James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So they're together. Then you have Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican. There's the author of the book. James and uh, Thaddeus. Verse 4, you have Simon and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, it, it's interesting there that Simon is the Canaanite. <laughs> He wasn't, a, that being from, that's, and then in Judas, they're together, you know, anyway. The Canaanites were not nice people to the Lord's people, okay? But yet, here's the guy right in the middle of it. These twelve, verse 5, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, so here again is the first command. He's going to commission them. He's going to move them now out into, here's what I want you to do. And this commission is the first that, he, that he's giving his apostles. These are basic standing instructions. By the way, he's going to give four supplement commission, five actually, Acts 1. But yet those are more like appendixes to this main one. Here's the main body. Here's what I want. Here's what we're going to do. And then these other ones are going to tell you what to do in specific periods of time. Okay? And we've talked about some of that as we've gone through the study. So Matthew 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth. And commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the, of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So where are they going? Exclusively to Israel. The ministry of the twelve at this time is limited in its scope to the nation of Israel. They were not to go to everybody. Okay? That's keeping in line with the Lord 
himself. Come over to chapter 15 of Matthew, chapter 15, and verse 24. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So who, where was Jesus commissioned to go to? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay? He, he, it's a very interesting thing. In John, when we were studying through John, the passage, he says, um, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. See? Christ had a commission as well from the Father. And he obeyed that commission and now he says i i'm gonna do i've done you've seen me do what the father said to do now you go and do what i'm telling you to do okay now next to matthew 5 24 and 10 5 you should have written down somewhere romans 15 verse number 8 because romans 15 verse number 8 it, paul gives us some information and it's a passage that is going to line up with this very carefully. Romans 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. By the way, Romans 15, verse 8 tells you what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is all about. Gives you an outline of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Romans 11, verse 11 and 12, give you an outline of what the book of Acts is all about. They stumbled, but they didn't fall. Then they fall. Then they diminish away, and they're off the scene. Romans 16, verse 25 and 26, give you an outline of Paul's epistles. So you've got a thing there, and, and then basically the rest, uh, the section here in Romans 15 will deal with the Hebrew epistles and so forth, and those are a little harder to pinpoint. But the passage here in Romans 15 is clear that the ministry of Christ, his earthly ministry, was limited exclusively to the nation of Israel. So when he says here, go not in the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, that's what he's doing. And then you look over there in 1524, uh, don't go into the way of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm not going over there. But you know what will happen is somebody will say, yeah, but. <laughs> Did a verse come to your mind about the world? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, he, that the world through him might be saved. See, look, certainly it's not just Israel, is what, but it's the whole world. And you just go, you don't know enough, you need to be quiet, you need to learn. <laughs> okay? Because that, but they'll use that verse. Now come over to John chapter 4. They'll use, this, they'll use those verses. And, and again, you just have to, and they'll use John 4 here, the, the woman at the well in Samaria. 
John 4, uh, verse 39. He's just, dealt, he's just been dealing with her at the well. She's gone back into town, told everybody. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own words. Now, these guys weren't miracle believers, by the way. They heard him, and they believed him. They didn't see a miracle. Verse 42, And he said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying." For we have heard him ourselves, and know that he, he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You see how they heard him. They didn't see a miracle. By the way, if you run back up to verse 35, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the field, for they are white already to harvest. <laughs> he said, you know what he's saying here, and we talked about this when we went through John 4 about five, about 10 years ago, it seems like, is that the Samaritans are ready now. They're ready to believe. But who's not ready? Israel. Because Israel, that, and again, come back to Matthew 9, Matthew there, Matthew 9. That's the problem. They... They don't go to the Gentiles and the Samaritans because Israel's not ready yet. They have, the, 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 we're looking at the Abrahamic covenant here is what we're looking at. The Abrahamic covenant, um, did I, you got Matthew 9? You catch up? Hold on there, run to Genesis 12, just so you remind ourselves of this. Because this doesn't get into our thinking sometimes. I, and uh, by the way, when somebody throws John 3.16 at you, or the, that John 4, they're not thinking about Genesis 12. They're not thinking, they're looking for uh, an argument. Genesis 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And here's the issue. And in, thy, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. See, in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth was to be blessed. But where is Abraham's seed? They're not anywhere near ready to be that channel of blessing. To a, so the Lord looks out there in John 4. The Samaritans, are the field is ripe and ready to be harvested. You go over there and you see this again, by the way, in Acts 8. Philip goes down to the Ethiopian, the type of the Gentile, ready to be, ready to go on board. Then he goes over there and he talks to that Samaritan, ready to go. But yet... What's going on in Jerusalem? There ain't nobody there but the twelve. They've all been scattered. The harvest is out there. Matthew 9, remember, who, what's he looking for? Laborers. 
The harvest is out there. It's ready. He's looking for laborers. They're not there. So he's gathering up the laborers. He's putting them, getting them ready, moving them. He's, we're talking about that little flock. Okay? We're talking about he's establishing his leadership. He's establishing who's going to go where and do what. But he's establishing... He, the message is restricted to Israel and his earthly ministry, not because God had something against everybody else, but because the, the prophetic program centers in on Israel being that channel of blessing to the nation. They have to get ready. By the way, in Romans 15, 8, we were talking there about the Lord is the uh, minister of circumcision to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. The very next verse, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That's them doing and being that channel of blessing. So when you come back to Matthew 10, we need to remember in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's dealing specifically with Israel to get them ready so that they would be that channel of blessing and the prophetic program could be carried out. He, I, people call the apostles racist. They call them bigots. They call them all kind of names because they wouldn't talk to that Gentile woman. No, there's a reason why. By the way, there's a reason why he, he tells them not to go to Samaria. And he goes all the way back to Solomon and the boys, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Solomon dies, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and they rip, they rend, second uh, course of judgment, rend that power structure. And Jeroboam says, you don't need to go down there to Jerusalem, we'll set it up up here. And Samaria, the northern tribes, failed to give Jerusalem the respect and honor and authority that it was, that God said they were to have. So he said, don't go there, don't go up north. You don't even talk to those guys. By the way, the northern tribes are quickly assimilated into Assyria and become a part of that pagan. And he sits over and he says, hey, Judah, your sister up north, look at what they, she just did. You're, it's going to happen to you too. Be careful. Be careful. And they got sucked away too. Matthew 10. So a lot of lot going on here, not just, hey, don't go and talk to those guys because they're, you know, browns or whites or, black, you know, reds or whatever. No, we got to get you guys ready. Does the righteous, does the, does the um, sick need the physician? Yes. But does the, 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 does the guy that's not sick need a physician? No. I'm here before the sick. I'm here to get them better, get them right. Follow that? You see how that's going? Okay? All right, 10-7. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I guess if there was ever a doubt of what they were preaching, I think that verse kind of clears it up. Nothing about preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Nothing about doing anything but preaching what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Their message that they're proclaiming 
is the kingdom that's promised in the Old Testament. It's that literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom with its headquarters in Jerusalem, with the Lord sitting as king, as the 12, where they, 12 apostles where they belong. And he says, hey, look, the Lord is in our midst. He's right here. He's a, it's all at hand. And that's the issue. That long-promised, talked-about, predicted kingdom all through the Old Testament, it's here. And it's time. And you guys got to be ready for it. Verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. If they met a sick guy, what were they to do to him? Heal him. If they met a leper, they're to reach out and cleanse him. Okay? If they come across the raising the dead, that's literally a guy dead in the grave. Bring him up. Raise him up. Cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. They have these wonderful powers. And when we get over to chapter 17 in Matthew, we're going to see that they're going to, those are going to be suspended for a little bit of time. And then they're going to be restored back to them after the resurrection. So he's got them moving now. He's got them setting out. They've got these wonderful powers to heal and to cleanse and to, and to do. They're to go out and they're to perform the miracles. And when they do that, they're fulfilling their commission. They're confirming the word that they're preaching with signs and wonders. Luke 8, 1. He's out preaching and showing the kingdom. Verse 9. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purse. That's why in Acts 3, when the lame man asked him, little coin, what did Peter say? Silver and gold have I none. It, it, you know what the Roman Catholics say? He took a vow of poverty. No, he didn't. He didn't take a vow of poverty. He wasn't in between paychecks. <laughs> I love, that was one I've heard before. There was a reason that he had none. The program he was under, he didn't have any. Okay? Verse 10. Nor scrip. For your journey, nor two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. They weren't to lay up provisions on the earth for the future. Come over to Luke 12. That's what he's told them, by the way, already. Luke chapter 12. You know, they, <laughs> these guys were, they were to just let her fly. Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay? What do they, what's the next verse say? Sell that ye have. And give alms. These men, at this time, were not to make provisions. They were rather to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
they were not to be stocking the shelves. These guys were to go out, and they were to do the ministry, come back to Matthew 10, and, well, you know what, you're in Luke there. Run down to Luke 22, over to Luke 22. You think about Israel, when, when they came out of Egypt, and they wandered around in that wilderness for 40 years. Took them, you know, I think about Gilligan's Island. Three-day trip ended up in a, well, that was Israel. An eight-day run up to Barnea took them 40 years to get there. Well, what did they do? Well, they didn't obey the word. So they were out there. But you know what they didn't need? They didn't need, a, they didn't need new shoes. It, it was taken care of, wasn't it? You know? They, so they didn't have, there was no cobbler. <laughs> shoe guy. Hey, where's the shoe guy? You know? I just bought some new shoes. I'm trying to break them in. Cause, and I was like, oh, kind of nice. <laughs> you know? They didn't need two coats. They didn't need any. They were told to just go. Okay? By the way, when, when Christ is in their midst, which he is right here, they are not to make provisions for the future by laying in the... Now, he's, when he leaves, look at Luke 22. Look at verse 35. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lack ye anything? And they said, what? Nothing. See how he asked them if they needed anything when he sent them out? That's Matthew 10, by the way. And what they, they said, no, we were good. Verse 36. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and what? Buy one. Isn't that interesting? Got a little shift in the, a little dispensational move here. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. <laughs> you just need one. You don't need two. You just need one. Okay. But it's interesting, he's, he, then he said unto them, but now. Isn't that interesting? There's a but now there. There's a change. But now. So before Christ leaves them, he tells them to go buy a sword. There was going to be a time now when they would need money and provisions. But when he was with them, they didn't have any of that need. When he leaves them, guess what happens? They do. And in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, what are they doing then? Selling everything. Everybody has everything in common. So when Christ leaves and sends back the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit functions as Christ in them, and they again have the provisions that they need. So they don't need... So they sell out, they sell all. Follow that? Go back to Matthew 10. So they, Matthew 10 here, they are to go exclusively to Israel. They are to preach the kingdom is at hand. They have miraculous powers. 
and they're not to lay up any provisions for the future. Okay? Now in verse 11 to 15, we're going to see their ministry, how their ministry works on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant. As they go out, there is a spirit of judgment that goes with them. Verse 11. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of the house or the city, shake off the dust of your feet. Now, by the way, that helps you understand when Paul three times in Acts shakes the dust out of his feet and off his coat and everything. Why? Because they're not worthy. They didn't receive the words, the word of God. They, so when he looks around and he, three times Paul says, we'll shake the dust off. Why? Because you didn't receive the word of God that I just gave you. You're not worthy. I'm out of here. So if they go into a house and the people are worthy, by the way, house, he's not talking about the building, he's talking about the people in the building, okay? So I had a guy one time, would you come bless my house? I'm like, no. It's a little weird. He goes, I'll give you $100. I go, no. That's even weirder. <laughs> well, okay. A few more dollars, a few more zeros, okay? But if he goes in and, no, and, and they're worthy, salute it. Give them a blessing. What, did they, what makes them worthy? What's, what are they preaching? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They got it. Hey, there's the Messiah. He's with us. He's in our midst. The king is here. Then leave them your peace. Bless them. If they're not worthy, they don't receive the message. Take back the blessing, okay, and your peace. Because what did the Abrahamic covenant say? I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. The other thing in that worthy thing is, what do these guys need? All the physical blessings, physical things, don't they? They have no money. They got no cooler, Yeti cooler full of snacks, you know. So you, they go in, and, and, the, and the family, the household says, come on in, we're sitting down to dinner, eat. We're, we're with you, you know. Then they're worthy. of. They've blessed you, so bless them. Okay? Look down at verse 37. Chapter 10 here, verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that receiveth you receiveth me. Verse 40, I'm sorry. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's 
reward. And whosoever shall give to drink one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Isn't that interesting? The idea there is that the people who are going to receive the disciples in, who are they really receiving? Christ. They're receiving the one who sent them. So by them receiving, they are receiving the disciples because they hear the word, and then the, the, that wonderful message of the kingdom is at hand. They believe it. They're worthy then. Okay? Now, this passage, go back up in verse 14 and so forth, is nothing to do about you and I today. And I know that they try to make it that way, they twist it, they turn it, they spin it, but it has nothing to do with you and I today. Verse 14, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say, Unto you, uh, unto you it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Woo! It's cha he's changing, isn't he? As they go and people accept the message and hear the message, they're going to get a blessing. But if they reject it, they are judged instantly. There's a spirit of judgment about... A, for the uh, around the apostles as they go they they go into that home hey the kingdom of heaven is at hand people who believe it they get a blessing they get peace they get that reward but man if they don't judgment falls on them and it's boom and that's why it's very important i, I throw that thing up there about reminding ourselves of the little flock and that apostate nation that apostate nation is going to be taken into judgment. That little flock is the one that's going to be worthy, and they'll go right on into the kingdom and receive the reward there. But here, it's more tolerable than for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. <clears throat> that's an that's a interesting way to say that. Okay? It, it, the... the Come over to chapter 11 and verse 22. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Those people who rejected and repented not. What these verses help you understand is in Scripture, there is an equity of judgment based on people's activity. So there are, it is called, people use the degrees of punishment for sin. Sin is sin. It's going to be dealt with. But when you read verse, like that verse 15, 10-15, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah it's going to be less tolerable for those people over here who've rejected my sent ones than for Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember about those guys. The, again, the, it, when the wrath comes, 
the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, and it's poured out, you know what Christ says? These people, that apostate nation out there, my wrath's going to fall on them. That's why Peter would say in Acts, save yourselves from that untoward generation. Get out of that mess and get over here where you belong. Look back there at Matthew 11 again, verse 24. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. You see, there's that, hey, one's, they're both in hell. Hell's hell. But one's going to be a little lighter than the other one. And the one that's going to be the heaviest is because you rejected me. You rejected the ones that I sent to you. Come over to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Mark 12 and verse 40. Talking about the Pharisees. Mark 12, 40. What do the Pharisees do? Well, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, they, these shall receive greater damnation. There's an increase there. There's a greater damnation. Come on over to Luke 12. See it here. Luke 12. Luke chapter 12. And verse 47. Luke 12, 47. And the servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit, those, uh, commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Now there's a difference between many stripes and few stripes. And the difference is based on how much the guy knows. The man who knew the master's will, he knows more information. He's got more light, and yet still disobeyed. He gets the many because, of, because he disobeyed. But the guy who didn't know is punished, but gets, doesn't quite get as many as the guy who knew. Do you, do you see that? It's all about how much you know. If you operate and function in the light that you have, the light of understanding that you have, then you're, you're good to go is what he's saying. But if you don't, and you come over here and become derelict to it, it's going to be worse for you than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, verse 48 goes on there. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. And that's the issue. All through, again, all through Scripture. Come over to, uh, let's see. We are in Luke 12. Did I lose you? Sorry. Luke 12, 48. Come over to... Um, Come over to Romans 2. Paul says it this way. Romans 2, when we get in, when, eventually when we get to Romans 2 in our Sunday morning service, 
Paul lists the principles of, of how God's justice operates. And the justice of God operates based on a set of standards that represent the integrity, the holiness of God. Integrity and holiness make up his righteousness. And his, the, 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 his holiness and his integrity are made up of his righteousness and his justice. I'll get it straight, okay? The justice of God comes in along and enforces the standard. The standard is perfect righteousness. Romans 2, verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his, what? Deeds. There's an equity based on the works of the individual. Now, Romans 2, 6. Now, run over to Revelation 20. And people forget, uh, and again, we're talking about the unsaved. Say, the way you get saved is by faith, trusting in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? In Israel's program, how you get saved is go over there and get in that little flock. Be a part, become a part of that. And then we're talking about being saved from hell. That's what we're talking, justified. Okay? Revelation 20, look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God... And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. If that, unman, if that unsaved man leads a clean moral life and doesn't reject light, his hell, lake of fire, won't be quite as bad as somebody who's gone out and sinned against the, the light that God has given to him. Okay? There's an equity to it. And that's what he's getting at back here in Matthew 10. Hey, when you guys go out there, and when you're doing your job, and you go into the cities that you're going to go into now, go back to Matthew 10, and you're going to go in there, there's going to be a city, there's going to, you're going to come into contact with people who are going to accept what you're saying, they're going to believe the message that I'm giving to you, they're going to see you do these miracles, they're going to physically take care of all of your needs. You're going to bless them, leave your peace with them, confirm what you need to but when you come up against someone who you give them the message, they reject. By the way, this is exclusively Israel. They reject the message. They reject what you're teaching. They deny what they're seeing in the miracles. It's going to be worse for them because they have the information in front of them and rejected it than it ever will be for Sodom and Gomorrah, for the mess that was back there. So... Get on with it, guys. Let's go. So he says, verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. <laughs> he just kind of, I'm going to send you now. Let's go. The, the focus in verse 16 changes now. There's a change in the instructions from this point onward. He's still talking to the 12. If 
you look down at chapter 11, verse 1, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of the commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. So all of ten, he's talking to who? The twelve. He's still talking to them in verse 16, but the viewpoint changes. And it quits looking at the things that they're going to go and immediately do. And now the viewpoint is going to move over to the future. Beyond the cross, beyond Acts 2, the Pentecost day, and look toward the kingdom. Okay? So up to Matthew 10, 15, the commission is fit. It fits in the beginning of the apostles' ministry. But from 16 on now, it's going to look toward the second coming. Okay? So we'll pick up here, because it's been an hour. Next time, we'll pick up in verse 16. I'm going to make a mark, so I know. Pick up here. Okay? And then we'll move on down through the chapter. Because what's going to end up happening now, again, is he's going to begin to look to the future. And he's going to prepare them for the future. The second coming, the tribulation, and so forth. That's why if you look at the end of verse 22 there, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Into the end of what? Talking about the 70th week of Daniel, getting down into that kingdom, okay? All right, we'll stop here. We'll pick up in verse 16 and motor on down some more and uh, see how far we can get next time, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for everything that we have in your Son. And we thank you for the viewpoint and the advantage of looking at your word and seeing uh, your chosen people, the little flock here, the true Israel of God, as you're forming them, as you're putting in the leadership, and as you're getting them ready for their role in your plan. We'll just give you the honor and the glory and the praise for that. In your name we pray. Amen.